Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is a special podcast we put together for you to enjoy on Sunday. Features some of the best interviews we did on the radio during the week that you may have missed. Some great guests here. You can hear these live during the week in your local radio station. To find out where, just go to Bongino.com, my website. Click on Station Finder. we got a list of stations there. We've got some terrific interviews lined up for you today. Before we get to them, let me get to one of our first sponsors here. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers, and they're all made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. First up today is another visit with Lee Strobel. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ, which changed my life. He's a very... Very smart guy. I get a lot of questions about Lee after every interview. I had a lot of questions for Lee about Pope Francis's seemingly socialist leanings and how that was affecting my faith and my allegiance to the church. So I turned to Lee for some answers about how to handle this. I think you're going to like this. Take a listen. I did want to end this topic without talking to a good friend to the show who's been here multiple times now. Our friend Lee Strobel. Lee, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me. You got it. Lee wrote a book, folks, that uh, changed my life. It's called The Case for Christ. Lee was a non-believer at one point and wrote this book from a journalist perspective, trying to discredit the existence of Christ and wound up becoming um, an evangelist for the cause. And no better one, no better one at that. So, uh, Lee, I I know you're not Catholic. I understand that. Um, But uh, but I am struggling with this. Well, I'm struggling with spiritual leaders in general, not just the Pope, yes. as we've been talking with in the last hour, who um, frequently, you know, mistake these, you know, leftist talking points for spiritual dogma. In other words, well, you know, we got to have government-run health care because government-run health care is the only way to ensure access. Well, well, Lee, there's, there's actually about 100 years of data to prove that that is, in fact, inaccurate. And, and my problem with the Pope speaking out about these matters is things that really matter, an allegiance to Christ and an objective set of values, love your neighbor like you'd love yourself, you know, take care of your kids, stay in a good, you know, uh, a, a marriage with a good, uh, with strong fidelity to your spouse, right? Those are the kind of things we're not talking about when spiritual yeah. leaders get off into this other stuff. Yeah, you know, I thought it was really interesting yesterday when you said that uh, you don't doubt your faith in Christ, but you're kind of questioning your allegiance to an institution that uh, may be, according to the speech that uh, the Pope just gave, uh, you know, frustrating free speech. And, um, you know, I want to say, first of all, Dan, you know, it's entirely biblical and appropriate uh, for all of us to test what we're taught by religious leaders. In fact, in Acts 17 in the Bible, the New Testament, it says that Berean Jews were considered of noble character because when the Apostle Paul, of all people, the Apostle Paul taught them some things, and it says, but they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
So we're, we're told in Scripture, this is a good thing to do what you're doing, which is ask these kind of questions, and to take the, uh, the Scriptures and apply them to what these spiritual teachings are, whether it's from a local pastor or the Pope or whoever, and try to determine, you know, is this consistent with what the Bible teaches? Sometimes that's really easy. Because, you know, if, if someone's teaching that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that's clearly um, n- not biblical and not true historically. Um, where you get into areas of dispute are those places, economic issues and, and, and uh, other kinds of topics that the Bible doesn't uh, explicitly, perhaps, teach on. So we have to explore what are the principles that Scripture is teaching? What is Jesus teaching us? How do we apply that to whatever question we're examining? And then it's appropriate to ask, are our spiritual leaders doing that in a way that's consistent with uh, determining the truth? Uh, now, it, I think, it, as you said, I'm not a Catholic, but it, I think it is interesting that, that the Pope was not speaking uh, ex cathedra. He wasn't speaking in what the Catholics would consider to be an infallible way. He was giving a talk to some communicators at the, at the Vatican. And, and I read the reports of what he said, and I agree with some of it. But I found, personally, some really problematic stuff in there. Uh, for instance, he says it's a human right to be properly informed. Right. What does that mean? Wait a minute. What does that mean? What is properly informed? What is proper information? What is misinformation? Yes. That's my point, Lee. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's what I brought up yesterday. Who is the vector of proper information? Right. Yes. And and here's my answer to that, because I speak not just as a Christian, but, you know, I used to be a professor of First Amendment law at Roosevelt University. I studied at Yale Law School under Floyd Abrams, a great First Amendment attorney, and uh, have a master's degree from Yale Law School. So I've studied this issue of First Amendment and of free speech and so forth. My answer to how we determine what's true and what's not is uh, the marketplace of ideas. Um, You know, and, and so you go back to 1859, John Stuart Mill wrote um, a publication called On Liberty. And in the second chapter, what he did is he took um, an analogy of, he said, just as a free economic marketplace determines winners and losers, a free marketplace of ideas is the best way to separate facts from falsehood. And so the idea is if we have a free marketplace where all are allowed, there's no censor saying you can't come into this marketplace, that we're all allowed to express our opinions, to present our evidence, to argue our case, then truth and falsehood can grapple it out in this free marketplace and truth will ultimately emerge. That's the belief. And you go back, you know, the Supreme Court, the federal judiciary has cited the marketplace of ideas, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times going back to 1919 when uh, the Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes talked about it. Uh, as recently as I found uh, 2017 talking about this marketplace of ideas. So when we, when we have censorship, um, you know, uh, that's the problem because it keeps voices out of this marketplace to be considered so that we can have truth grapple with falsehood. Uh, now, yeah. the founders of our country in their wisdom said, you know, the government cannot censor. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a foundational belief, it's a First Amendment belief. The problem is they couldn't have foreseen what we have in the 21st century, where we have technology companies whose power 
is is incredibly huge in terms of regulating this marketplace of ideas. And and so, you know, this is the, the thing we have to grapple with in the 21st century. What does that mean? How do we return to a place where there are no you know, this prior restraint and, and censorship? Because I'll tell you what, Dan, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, what about, um, you know, a year ago, people who said that cloth, cloth masks uh, are no good or are not very good would be censored. Uh, um, today, we find that, oh, okay, now right. the general belief is, you know, that cloth masks don't work very well. Well, um, the problem is a slippery slope. And what some people may consider misinformation today uh, is going to be used against other people tomorrow. So perhaps five years from now, people say, oh, wait a minute, this idea of Jesus, he was a myth, he didn't really exist. That's misinformation. That's just mythology. Um, and, and, and let's censor um, um, teachings about Jesus from being in the marketplace of ideas. This is insidious stuff, and, and we are at a turning point as a country. Um, without this, without a free and vigorous and open marketplace of ideas, we are headed for um, censorship. We are headed for uh, totalitarianism, um, all kinds of bad results. And so I, I share your concern about this. Um, and, uh, um, and, and I just want to reiterate, if from whatever a person's spiritual background is, it is totally appropriate to, to test what we are taught. And to determine, is it consistent with what the Bible teaches or is it not? Um, don't feel, uh, you know, people should not feel like they're doing something wrong when a spiritual leader says X, and then they go and they say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound quite right to me. Let me, let me research what the Bible says about X. And okay, well, there's that, nothing explicit, but there, there's teachings and principles that can be applied. Um, that, that makes me feel thing. a lot better. That, we're talking good, to Lee good. Strobel, author of a book that... Uh, changed changed my life it's called the case for christ i get this every time i have you on lee i get uh, a lot of email what's the name of that book the case uh, for christ the case for christ trust me folks pick it up paperback whatever it is just pick it up you will it will change your life too it's an amazing amazing book i got through it in probably four or five hours so you got to <laughs> savor every minute of it lee that makes me feel better uh, my good, second good. question is the Pope opines a lot about these economic matters too. Yeah. Um, I find it yeah. deeply disturbing because I wrestle with this and I've got about yeah. three, four minutes left, but um, yeah. I, I just need your help on this. You're a guy who, again, is an evangelist for the cause who came from kind of an almost a trying to disprove the existence of Christ's background. Yeah. And you've been really powerful as an advocate, but the Bible's teachings on wealth. I have this yeah. economic side of me that's, 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 that's passionate about economics. And I know the best allocation and the highest value added uh, activities you can do with capital is capital you earned and you'll spend on yourself or your family because the cost and the quality of what you buy matter. Um, that, that's not to you know, disabuse any notion that charity is valuable, but human history has shown that giving away your money to government is not in fact an act of benevolence, but is an act of almost grotesque waste that incentivizes poverty in many cases. What should we as Christians and, and, and well, me, I'll just leave it at Christians. You're not, you're not Catholic, but I, yeah. what should we as Christians, what should we do about wealth when we've been as, as blessed as, as I have? Uh, what, what do we do? Yeah. Well, people m misinterpret scripture often and say, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's not what scripture says. That's the love of money is the root of all evil and, uh, uh, or, or the root of evil. And so, um, uh, you know, when we become enamored with money and we become, um, um, 
you know, repressive against others in a position of financial um, uh, power, uh, that's a negative thing. But the Bible, of course, talks about loving all people. It talks about serving the poor. It talks about serving the widows and the forgotten and the orphans and so forth. And so the question you're raising is, how do we best do that? Is it best done yes. by a socialist government where the government does everything and regulates everything to the nth degree? Um, or uh, are there other mechanisms to achieve that? So as long as what we're doing is trying to accomplish what Scripture tells us to do, to love the, the poor, to, to help them, to um, help um, empower them and, and, and serve them, um, what is the best way to accomplish that? Is it through a socialist um, position or is it through a free marketplace uh, type of position? And uh, I think you raise legitimate questions of um, if you have $1,000 and you want to use that to help the poor, what is the best way to do that? Is it to give it to the government? Is it to use it in some other manner? So I think, you know, those who go to Scripture and preach a socialist um, um, viewpoint uh, are, are missing the boat, are missing the point. Um, yes, we're to help the poor, but how we do it is important. Yeah. No, that's critical because when I take my money and I give it to people I know are struggling and I know every yeah. dollar I gave gets to them. And this has right. happened recently. An incident involves the show. Actually, I know exactly where the money went with the middlemen. Even Arthur Raccoon, who was an economist under uh, Johnson, I believe, called it the leaky bucket. How when you mm -hmm. give money to these third parties, the leaky bucket, about 40 cents of it, if not more, goes down the tubes. And I, Lee, I, I, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. running out of time. I want to get another plug in for your book because it's so fantastic. But thank you for commenting on that, because I think a lot of us struggle with that. And if the, yeah. if, the, if the easy answer was we can serve Christ best because government's a vehicle for Christ, I don't think any of us would, 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 would have any problem with taxes. We'd be like, yeah. oh, great. Yeah. Look at how much better a job government does. On a, but they don't. Right. Their track record is terrible. Lee Strobel, That's the book exactly is called, right. folks. Thank you. The book is called The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ, an amazing book. Pick it up today. Uh, it'll change your life like it did mine. Lee, thanks for your time. You're always great on matters Thank like you. this. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. you, Dan. Thank you. God you bless. You got it, folks. That was Lee Strobel, author of The Case for Christ. Like I said, a book that really changed my life. We've got another terrific interview lined up for you here with Peter Schweizer, who's done some incredible work exposing swamp corruption in the Biden family. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall credit card bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. We had Peter Schweizer last week on to talk about his new book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. We talked about the corruption of the Biden family and the way they're handling China. It could be the, a really grave threat to U.S. national security. You're not going to want to miss this. It's an eye-opening interview. I'm here to talk about his new book, Red Handed, which is absolutely flying off the shelves right now. I believe number one, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, is Peter Schweizer. Peter. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be with you, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. The book is uh, a mega bestseller right now, uh, lighting up the charts. 
Peter, I have not gotten a, a, my hands on an advanced copy or if it was sent, it's in a pile of books. So I don't ever smoke up my audience here. Uh, I don't know what's in the book, but I saw some of your interviews last night where you previewed some of the content. And uh, if you could give us the top line takeaway about the swamp in China, what is going on? Who's profiting? Is our national security at risk? What do we need to know that's in this book and why should we pick this up? Yeah, uh, Dan, absolutely. Our national security is a threat. Um, I have a chapter. The first chapter actually is on the Biden family. And we've known for a while. I first broke the story in 2018 that the Bidens had commercial ties uh, to China. Uh, what we did in this book was we decided to figure out who opened the doors for them in Beijing, who made some $31 million in Chinese money end up in the hands of the Biden family. Uh, and we used the Biden laptop. We also used an email collection from one of Hunter Biden's former business partners. And what we found, Dan, is that in every single deal they got, uh, there was a businessman who made it happen, who, as the kids would say, made it rain. And every single one of those businessmen has links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence, meaning the vice minister for state security, the family of the former minister of state security, so the story of the Bidens and their China deals is no longer just a story of corruption and cronyism. It is a story of a Chinese intelligence operation. And we have got to get to the bottom of if the Bidens are compromised and how badly are they compromised. We're talking to Peter Schweizer, author of the new book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, blasting up the charts right now. Peter, this is not your first rodeo. You have been doing exposés like this, thankfully, on people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and that is fantastic. The, the, swamp is, uh, the swamp virus has infected, sadly, people of both parties. But this yeah. Hunter Biden story is particularly frightening. I get it. I'm a conservative. I'm not pretending to be otherwise. I don't pretend to be a journalist like yourself. I'm an opinion guy. But trying to put that hat off for a minute, trying to play this straight, we're talking about the former vice president of the United States currently occupying the White House right now. And what you're suggesting to me with these incredible amounts of money documented in your book, $31 million, I mean, this is serious stuff. And it makes me wonder, and I pose a question to you, is, is, is there potential blackmail material out there um, that we don't know about? I think absolutely you have to consider that. And, you know, what, what you also have to factor in here is that um, the emails reveal that Joe and Hunter Biden have intertwined finances. So this isn't just Hunter Biden that is collecting money and spending money. Well, we know what he spent some of his money on. Uh, yeah. He was actually paying his father's bills, subsidizing his father's lifestyle, beginning when he was vice president of the United States. So this is a Joe Biden story. There's also another, uh, honestly, an X factor. And Dan, you probably can shed more light on it, this than I can. Hunter Biden is securing these deals in China with businessmen who are business partners with the vice minister for state security for for foreign recruitment. And he does something truly bizarre. In the summer of 2014, he goes to the United States Secret Service, and this has been confirmed to the U.S. Senate, and he says, I do not want protection when I travel overseas. So he's going to meetings in China and telling the Secret Service, U.S. law enforcement, I don't want you with me when I take these foreign trips. That strikes me as extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, you're being nice. I mean, you're almost underselling it. Yes. Uh, for those of you who don't understand the inside baseball, 
There's only yep. uh, a couple of people who don't have what they call like sign off authority. In other words, uh, they can't sign off their protection. The president and the vice president, they can't sign off, Peter. They, 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 they get protection whether they want it or not. Um, right. But other protectees, Hunter Biden and the like, they do have that sign off authority where you sign a piece of paper, literally sign a piece of paper and the Secret Service is not around. And that does beg a very important question. I mean, why would you not want security in a, in a, in a country like China? I mean, it doesn't have a massive street crime problem, but you're overseas. Uh, you're a protectee. They help expedite you through airports, which unquestionably makes your life super convenient. Why would you give all that up? And uh, right. I, I, I mean, kind of a common sense question, no? Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, if you talk to people that do business in China, they will tell you, I mean, you know, if you're a banker, you work for Goldman Sachs or whoever, and you're going to China, they sit you down and they explain to you all the kinds of things like honey traps and whatnot that is going to be thrown at you. That is certainly going to be thrown at the vice president's son. And so, you know, I, I try to think of this in the context of, of history and, and just imagine that during the Cold War, any of our president's families were doing business deals with Russian businessmen who had ties to the highest levels of the KGB. I mean, there would be alarm bells going off in official Washington, <laughs> rightfully so. That's, that's exactly what we have here. I mean, it, that's exactly what we have here. Uh, and the fact that they're pretending that this story doesn't exist they're pretending that Hunter Biden, uh, you know, that these people that open these doors for Hunter Biden don't have these intelligence connections. They're ignoring the story is truly stunning to me. And it shows how far we've descended. This would not have been tolerated 30 years ago during the Cold War. Yeah, I mean, Peter, it's just it's not even a complicated influence operation. It's not like they were hiding it. I mean, some of these business deals around the open. We're talking to Peter Schweizer, author of the new book, number one new book, Red Handed. How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter, I heard you last night in an interview. Um, you were, I think you were on Fox. Forgive me. I'm, I'm dealing with my second bout of COVID in eight weeks, which is just glorious. Um, but I heard you mention, and if, and if I'm wrong, correct me, about a connection to Romania. Was it, Did I hear that right? I was kind of off and on yeah. on the TV last night. What was that? Yeah, you know. Yeah, Hunter Hunter really operates kind of a veritable United Nations of corruption. <laughs> and I think China China is the most troubling for me because the intelligence component. And people know now that he was getting hookups from Russian oligarchs. In Romania, uh, there's a very uh, corrupt uh, oligarch um, uh, who was um, charged and convicted in Romania of bribery uh, because he basically bribed people to get a government land, which he then sold later um, to build the U.S. embassy on. Um, and he made a fortune doing this. Of course, he bribed government officials to do it. He hired Hunter Biden to run a PR campaign to help get the United States government to get the Romanian government to get the charges dropped. Uh, and what's interesting about this is not just Hunter Biden's involvement, Dan, but one of the people that Hunter Biden uh, gets involved in this is somebody he, he describes as his very good friend. Uh, and that would be former FBI director Louis Free. So that raises all kinds of questions uh, about, you know, Hunter's relationship with certain people at the FBI. And, of course, you wonder how Louis Free got involved in something like this in the first place. So, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. yeah, you do wonder. Now, we're talking to Peter. Peter, I want to squeeze one last question in here. We're talking to Peter Schweizer, author of the book that I, I'm going to be purchasing right now, as a matter of fact, Red Handed, Red Handed, pick it up today. 
You have your entire journalistic career has been about exposing the swamp. Again, both sides. No one's no one's safe from your journalism and, and good. And God bless you for doing that. But, Peter, just an exit question. I got about a minute, minute and a half left. This is a bipartisan problem. This selling yeah. of your access to power. Um, and granted, I'm not an anti-free speech guy. Lobbying is speech like anything else. And as long as it's done publicly, we understand. But that's far different, Peter, than selling access to foreign thermonuclear-powered enemies of the United States. That's kind of a different thing. I mean, am I crazy or yeah. what? No, you're exactly right. And to pick an example on the other side of the aisle, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, his family, he's married to Elaine Chao, they have a shipping business that the Chinese government has made enormously profitable. They uh, construct all the ships for the shipping company. They finance the construction of those ships to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. They provide the crews for these large ships, and they provide a lot of the contracts, Chinese state-owned companies. So they have massive leverage on Mitch McConnell. Because if Mitch McConnell were to take legislative action that China truly, truly, truly hated, they could destroy the family business overnight. And that's what they want. They want leverage. They've got $31 million to the Bidens. Uh, I think there's all sorts of questions there. You've got the case with Mitch McConnell. They're Republicans and Democrats. We've got to get serious about China as a threat. Uh, and we need to call out our elites who are selling out the country for a quick buck from Beijing. Peter, I'm 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 buying. I'm picking this book up today. Um, I'm picking it up today. Uh, really, you have. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm so glad I had you on. I watched you last night. I said we've got to talk to him. You've been doing God's work here. Thank you for exposing the swamp on both sides. No one should be safe if you're going to sell your access at the expense of the American people from truth tellers like you, Peter Schweizer. Thanks for your time. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Dan. Really enjoyed it. You got it. Peter Schweizer, folks, author of the new book again, Red Handed. Go pick it up today. And then after you read the book, tell me how there's not a swamp, how the swamp is just a conspiracy theory. Tell me that again. That was Peter Schweizer and our discussion about his book, Red Handed. I hope you like it. We got another great interview coming up next, but let me just get to my next sponsor first. Up next, we talk with Dinesh D'Souza about his new movie, 2000 Mules. Ladies and gentlemen, I saw the trailer. It just blew me away. Election 2020, a lot of questions. Dinesh D'Souza has some video evidence of what appears to be some really shady activity. This is a fascinating conversation about some footage he was able to get a hold of for his movie. Pay close attention to it. So, um, you know that you're over the target with the left every time when they, when they issue their edicts. They roll out their Lord Farquaad-like uh, edicts. You shall hereby forward no longer discuss... The 2020 election? Yeah, but you guys are still talking about the 2000 election. You still think Gore won. That's okay. The 2020 election is hereby banned from discourse. Now you know something's up. Well, I saw a trailer today for a new movie coming out. It's called 2000 Mules, and it's by this guy who's been kind enough to join us, a good friend to the show, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, thanks for taking some time with us today. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Great to be on your show. So, Dinesh, I appreciate that. You have, uh, you're in, in just an incredible filmmaker. You're, you're just, your legacy of success and exposing some of this corruption is just a second to none on our side. But I have to tell you, I've seen most of your movies. I've only seen the trailer for this. 
But I was blown away this morning. I saw it on Rumble. The link to the trailer, folks, is on all my social accounts right now. I just sent it out. Parlor, Telegram, Locals. You can see the link to the Rumble trailer. Um, apparently, you have some video footage of these mules dropping off ballots in these drop boxes. Uh, the footage is really disturbing. Tell us about it. How'd you get it? Uh, what do you think it means? So, Dan, this is uh, really the biggest uh, story of, of my career. And in fact, I, I think it's the biggest story in the world right now, which is that if we think back to the 2020 election, um, there's been a sense of deep frustration. The left declares this is the most uh, secure election in history. And there are a lot of people on the conservative side who have, you know, we suspect something went wrong. We smell a rat. Uh, and there's been a flurry of kind of charges. This is what happened. That is what happened. I've been really frustrated. And so I've been silent. I haven't participated in any of that for now, you know, almost well over a year. But um, we're friends with uh, a woman named Catherine Engelbrecht, and they have an organization called True the Vote, which is the premier kind of voter integrity organization in the country. Catherine's been a longtime friend of my wife, Debbie. And so we met with them now, I guess, a couple months ago. And um, it turns out they have an ongoing research project, which we, have now, we now participate in. We help them raise the money for it. And essentially what we've done is we have bought geo-tracking data from all the key swing states. This is the key because it tracks every cell phone uh, going to drop boxes uh, prior to the election, leading up to the election. This is literally billions of cell phone pings. Um, and we have kind of an expert team working on this. So, you know, it's not that I've got a few videos. We have a giant amount of data and a giant amount of videos and so the, the trailer I put out is the tip of the iceberg. The movie is the iceberg. Dinesh, uh, the movie, folks, by the way, you can see the trailer now. It's on, you go to Dinesh D'Souza's social accounts. He has a link to the movie. It's called 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules. The trailer is on Rumble. I just posted it. Please watch it. I'll actually play the trailer after Dinesh is off, too, so you can hear it for yourself. It's that good. Dinesh, how did you guys get this footage? Is it surveillance footage from, from Paul? I mean, I saw the trailer. You have a teaser of some of the footage in there. How did you, were they just, uh, were they cameras set up specifically for these drop boxes? How did you guys get it? Did you have to FOIA it? How did it work? Yeah, so, so the, um, the footage is official um, uh, footage of the electronic drop boxes. This is not footage we took. This is not some, something that someone you know, sent us in the mail. Uh, True the Vote legally obtained the footage by freedom of information requests and through other legal means. Uh, we're getting more footage, by the way, so that we, we already have a giant amount. I believe uh, three million minutes of footage already with more to come. So this is not a case where we're you know, blowing smoke here. Uh, the reason I jumped all over this is I realized the significance of having not only geo-tracking evidence, but video evidence. Yeah, I mean, I watched the trailer and the video is pretty clear. Now, at one point, I see one of these uh, mules dropping off these ballots at these ballot boxes, which, if I correct me if I'm wrong, appear unattended out, outside of the video camera. And it looks like uh, the person's taking a, a, a selfie in front of the ballot box. Why would they be doing that, Dinesh? What's the significance of that? 
The significance of that is that these are paid mules. We know a lot about them now. In fact, we, you know, we have their, we have, well, we have an incredible amount of data. And the point about this is that, that uh, True the Vote and we are happy to cooperate with authorities regarding this data. Let's remember that this kind of vote trafficking is illegal. It's illegal to pay people to deliver votes to mail-in drop boxes. It's illegal to go to 30 or 40 or 100 mailboxes and drop ballots in each one of them. So this is a, this is a coordinated ring of illegal activity. Now, it might be going on in the entire country. Our, our geofencing focuses on the swing states, but I'm just telling you that we're talking about a giant amount of votes we're not talking here. This is not anecdotal. There's one guy over here, one guy over there. This is an organized effort occurring in key states. Dinesh, how, I see I, that I didn't know from the trailer, but how many states is this footage from? The, we have geo-tracking data, and then we have, we have <laughs> video footage. Since we're getting more footage, I don't want to talk about right. uh, where, okay. but I will tell you we have geo-tracking data from all the key states. So, for example, we have Georgia, we have Arizona, we have Michigan, we have Wisconsin, we have Pennsylvania. Wow. Wow. We're talking to Dinesh D'Souza, filmmaker, has a new movie coming out, 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules, please. Go to Rumble, look at it on Dinesh's account, watch the trailer. It is mind-blowing. Dinesh, how many, do you have any idea how many ballots this may have entailed by looking at the video? I mean, I'm assuming you obviously can't count how many they're dropping off, but I mean, is this, is this the kind of information where we could be talking about a significant number of ballots that could have altered an election, whether it's a federal one or a state? Remember, it wasn't just the president on the ballot here, Dinesh. Was, there, were quite, there were other candidates as well. Is this, are we talking about that kind of number of ballots or just a few here and there? No, we are talking about a giant number of ballots, and it's very easy to, I don't want to estimate uh, or give a number. I, I might do that in the film, but here, here's all I'm going to say. Think of it. Think of 2,000 paid mules, right? Each one of them going to many drop boxes and dropping many ballots in each of them, and you just have to run the math to realize that we're talking about, well, let's just say it's a, it's a, it's a bigger margin uh, than the, uh, than the, I mean, it's, it's certainly enough uh, to make the difference. Uh, the numbers I'm not going to speculate on now. Um, in fact, some of our data is still, you know, we're still basically putting it together because we've released the trailer, but we haven't finished the movie. The movie will come out uh, in April, probably the, toward the end of April. And I'm not quite sure just yet if it'll be a theatrical release or if it's something that will release sort of straight to home box office. But either way, we're going to try to make it available so everyone can see it and see it very easily. We're talking to Dinesh D'Souza. He's discussing his new film, uh, 2000 Mules. Well, you answered that. It was my next question. So that's good to know. So we're hoping for around an April timeline. So we've got a few months to go. The trailer, folks, is on Rumble right now. 2000 Mules, Dinesh D'Souza. I sent the link out on all my socials. It's on Dinesh's social accounts as well. Uh, Dinesh, this you know, begs a very important question. Um, these mules, they had to have realized that these ballot boxes were being videotaped. Uh, I mean, unless they were really stupid. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming, you know, that they knew that, you know, kind of, I don't want, I'm wondering what the other side would say, because the other side have an argument here that, oh, you know, these are just people who, uh, 
They went to grandma's house. I mean, obviously, it sounds ridiculous. I get it. But I'm trying to play devil's advocate for all the lefties that listen. And they say, yeah, it's just the guy taking care of his neighbors and doing the neighborly thing, Dinesh, and dropping off some ballots. Is there any evidence this could all be just some innocent mistake? Absolutely not, Dan. First of all, we the beauty of having geotracking evidence is it is it is not only time evidence, but it's evidence of exactly where the mules came from. And let me tell you, they're not coming from grandma's house and they're not coming from their own apartment. <laughs> they are picking up these ballots at certain deposit centers. So what I'm saying is this is why we know it's an organized effort. They're getting the ballots from places we know where they're getting them from. And, and we have the IP, you know, we have the we have the identification of each of the phones. So, uh, look, the left is going to have to deal with this. I think right now they're like in a dead silence about it. I mean, interestingly, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a single, quote, fact check on this. And you know why? Because there's nothing to check. This is official surveillance data. It is impossible to refute. Um, and it's the exact same data that government has. Now, if you're asking about the mules, here's my thing. Now, a number of the states that were supposed to have surveillance data, by the way, did not have, did not in fact have surveillance. So we're not able to have surveillance from everywhere because some of these people didn't do it, even though it is right there in the election guidelines. You should have, you should have surveillance video. Some of these places just didn't do it. But from where we can get it, we do have it. We think that the people who organize this, and this I will say is speculation, thought that the other side, our side, is too stupid to figure this out. They thought that this is something they could pull off, they could get away with, we would never be onto it. In fact, we would be distracted by side issues, and I think for the most part we have been. But if you think about it, this is the big change that occurred under COVID, right? It's the, this is the way that the election in 2020 was run differently, a massive expansion of these mail-in drop boxes. So to me, it's, it's not entirely a surprise that this is where the problems arose and this is where the other side thought, look, you know, this is how we can pull this off. So, um, the, you know, like, like trying to rob a bank or trying to do anything, they attempted a heist and unfortunately they left their fingerprints and we already have it. So there's nothing they can do about it now. And I think, um, let's just say that they're all running around the Titanic but the iceberg is coming. I don't think they can avoid it. We're talking to Dinesh D'Souza, filmmaker behind the upcoming project. The trailer is available now. 2,000 mules, explosive video from election ballot boxes. Dinesh, I got to run, but you know, you, you, you said something there that's just kind of common sense. We had a, a, an unprecedented, at least in modern times, election where mail-in ballots surged due to the COVID pandemic, where you introduced another link in a chain of custody. Um, I was a police officer and a federal agent. You know, you want to minimize your chain of custody when you use evidence because the more people that touch it, it's the more opportunities for corruption and mishandling. I mean, none of this is none of this is a conspiracy theory. So introducing another chain of custody, someone who can deliver a vote rather than you, obviously introduces an element that uh, that could could potentially lead to problems. So none of this is crazy. Dinesh, I'm really excited about this. Thanks for coming on today and spending some time with us. Uh, when this movie comes out, please uh, don't forget to come back and tell us about it again. We want to make sure this gets maximum viewing. So thanks for taking some time with us. Absolutely. I look forward to it. You got it, folks. That was Dinesh D'Souza. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please go to my social accounts, Locals, Parlor, uh, my Telegram, 
It's up there right now. Go to Dinesh's social accounts. He's on Twitter. You can see it right there. There's a link. It's pinned to the top of his Twitter account, Dinesh D'Souza. He has the rumble link to this trailer. Watch this trailer, 2,000 Mules, about election ballot boxes in 2020. My gosh. That was our interview with Dinesh D'Souza from radio uh, last week. Thanks for tuning in to the Sunday podcast featuring terrific interviews from the radio show. Really good guests. We appreciate their time. You can hear me every weekday across the country on over 300 radio stations. Go to Bongino.com and click on Station Finder to find out where I'm on near you. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great rest of the weekend. I'm Dan Bongino. You just heard Dan Bongino.